According to national estimates, almost 39 million people will take out on a trip of over 50 miles this Wednesday and Thursday. Thanksgiving has become the most traveled holiday in America. It is the time when people are on the road the most. And this year, we as a family will be joining that. We haven't had to travel over 50 miles the last few years, but this year we will be traveling over 50 miles home. And when you think about all that goes into Thanksgiving and all that we talk about in Thanksgiving, it, it is one of those special times of year when families get together around the table, when the meal is served, and people talk about what God has blessed them with. My earliest memories of Thanksgiving come from West Tennessee, and I grew up in Dyersburg, and I had one set of grandparents that lived in Dyersburg and another set that lived in an even smaller town called Halls, Tennessee. And I remember well going to those two places on Thanksgiving. We would start at my Granny Larson's in Halls, and we would end at Granny Nails in Dyersburg. And what I remember about Granny Larson's in Halls is that we always ate on weird things. We had a large family there. My brother I and mean, my dad had one brother, two sisters. Between, uh, between all of them, children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, by the time I was about six or seven years old, there were probably 40 to 50 of us that were eating in a tiny little house. And there just wasn't table space for everybody. And so at my Granny Larson's, we didn't have a kid's table. We had a kid's ironing board. <laughs> and they would set the ironing board up, and three of us would get chairs or just sit on the... She had some of those uh, old... Um, Jar. I mean, just huge canisters that you just sat. You really just sat on whatever you could find. Your brother, your sister, whatever would work. But the thing that I remember about even those ironing table experiences is that it was always special. Everybody in my family growing up, or Granny Larson's family, there were a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans. And so we would always try to get through with the meal before the Cowboys played so we could sit in there and watch. And then we would go to Granny Larson and Granny Nails. And at that place, we had an actual table to eat on. And there were four of us cousins that were the only children there that were all around the same age. And it was a special experience. Some of you may remember some of those days when you were growing up when you did Thanksgiving and how special it was. And some of you may be looking forward to this weekend and family coming in. Some of you may have begun the cleaning and the preparing and all of that for you. And for all of us, we can remember those Thanksgivings when it was just a special moment. But for some of you, maybe Thanksgiving this week or in the past has been more like Daryl. And I want to give you an opportunity to watch Daryl as he tries to remember Thanksgiving in a special way. Now, a Thanksgiving moment. You know, this is the time of year when we realize what it is we have to be thankful for. Of course, I'm talking about Thanksgiving. I know. Hang on. This is called suede, buddy. So you need to be careful with that lollipop. It's time to be with your kids and your nieces and nephews. And don't touch them. That's just going to egg them on. That's just... It's time when I remember all the warmth and love of conversations and, uh, well, let's just... Guys, hey, guys, seriously. Why don't you come help? Don't even... But I know that I remember growing up... You know what, this is not going to work. Haley, I'm sorry, my back is killing me. This kid's about to break my knee off. This one is as right as it gets. We need some... 
A lot of wipes for that one. Well, that's right. And I remember the turkey and dressing, and uh, you bet there was some cranberry sauce if uh, Uncle Teddy had anything to do with it. And uh, Uncle Floyd, I, 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 I tell you what, Haley, can, you've got to get her out of here because my headache is about to explode here. Um, hey, seriously, Daryl, how about helping out this year? Hey, I'll tell you what, why don't you go outside and wait for me? All right. And uh, I remember uh, sitting around and laughing as a family, and sweetie, I have got to have some room here to do this. I know. I t- you know what? This is like a practical joke. This is terrible. Okay, I'm about to freak out here. Daryl, should we put you at the kids' table since you're helping about as much as they are, or...? Hold on. Hold on. So my hope is that you have a very blessed time and a relaxing Thanksgiving. Well, maybe your Thanksgiving's more like that. Regardless of what Thanksgiving's like for you, The truth is that as Christians we realize that one day out of the year is not enough to give God the thanks for what He's given us. And while our country, it is amazing to me that we still set aside a day called Thanksgiving that was set aside for a country to take time to give thanks to God for all that He has done, we realize that that's just not enough. So this morning I want to talk to you about living a life of Thanksgiving, of everything you do giving thanks. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 138. We're going to look at the life of David a little bit and some ways that he gave thanks. But before we get to that passage, I want you to see this passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and following. It's on your handout. It's on the screen as well. Where it tells us that our lives are to be cheerful no matter what. That we are to pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. We're to be cheerful no matter what, to pray at all times, and thank God no matter what happens. What we're going to see in the book of Psalms here, and what we're going to see in Psalm 138, is that David was a man who thanked God no matter what happened in his life. Now, sometimes when it comes to Bible stories, we like to sanitize the lives of people that are in the Bible. We like to make them easier than they were, but most of you know David did not live an easy, comfortable life. If you look through the life of David, you have him growing up as the youngest, and when they came to find the king, the brothers didn't think he was important enough to even bring him along, so they didn't even ask him, and he gets there and he's anointed king, and everything seems to be all right, and everything's going to be great, but his life doesn't immediately turn out well. Most of you that grew up in the church know the story that after he's anointed king, the current king gets a little bit jealous about that. And he sets out to kill him. And he chases him all over the countryside. And David finds himself in caves even after he is a man that has defeated Goliath. Even after he is a man that has saved Israel. He finds himself without a home, without any friends, without anybody really supporting him. He had some people around him, but not to the amount that Saul had in chasing him down. Now the people loved him. And it just made his situation worse. It is said that when Saul would come through towns, they would talk about how few Saul had conquered and how many David had. And so David was constantly on the run. Well, the time comes that Saul is removed and David is put on the kingship. 
And everything ought to be all right then. But David then finds himself in trouble of his own making as he commits adultery with a lady and he has her husband killed. And after that, he has some ramifications in his own family. And eventually we find out that his own children rebel against him, even one trying to take his crown. He was a man that had constant trouble in his life. But here's the thing that is amazing about him. If you read through the Psalms, no matter what is happening in his life, David continually gives thanks. Now, I want to make a real um, clear distinction here. Because there are some people in our Christian lives that will tell us that we ought to give thanks for everything that happens. I'm not one of those people. All right? I don't believe we should give thanks for everything that happens, but I think we ought to give thanks in the midst of whatever happens. Now, here's the reason I say that. And you hear people sometimes say things like, everything happens for a reason. The truth is that God doesn't cause everything that happens in your life. He just sets it down to happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this issue of spiritual warfare where we have an enemy of our souls trying to get to us. And there are things in your life because of my sin and your sin that happen that are our own causing. And there are things that the enemy brings into our lives. And we shouldn't be thankful for the consequences of our own sin or thankful for the things the enemy brings, but we can still give thanks to God in the midst of whatever circumstances are coming. And that's what David did. I don't think David, if you read through the Psalms, he is brutally honest with God. And I don't think David said, God, I thank you for the fact that this guy is trying to kill me. But in the midst of the guy trying to kill him, he said thanks. Psalm 138. Look at it with me, if you will. It says, a psalm of David, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called you, answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. But the Lord is on high, He looks upon the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, You preserve my life. You stretch out Your hand against the anger of my foes. With Your right hand, You save me. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of Your hands. What David does in this passage is first he shows us how we give thanks in all circumstances, and then he shows us the things that we ought to be thankful for in our lives. And the first thing that we're going to see this morning is not a major point on your outline, but it's there in bold, and it is important because it is the main theme of the entire day, and that is that David shows us the best way to give thanks to God is to declare His praises. It's to declare His praises. Look at verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. 
Here's what David tells us is that he's talking to the Lord and he says, Lord, I'm going to praise you with everything I have within me. The reality is that verse of Scripture, if you look at it in the original language, what they mean or the connotation from those words are that he's going to praise God from the bottom of his toes to the top of his head and he's going to do it in public where everyone can see. This wasn't a closet faith. This wasn't a closet praise. This wasn't a half-hearted praise. This wasn't a kind of praise. This wasn't a lackluster praise. It was, God, I'm going to declare your praises in this place with everything I am. From the very bottoms of my feet to the top of my head, I'm going to give you all that I have. That's not, I'm going to give you a one day a week kind of praise. That's not, I'm going to praise you when everyone around me is doing the same thing. He says that he's going to praise God with all that he is. In fact, he's going to, he's going to declare God's glory among the other gods. Now, in your, if you've got an NIV version of the Bible, that word gods is in quotation marks. And what David is saying there is, I know that the other gods aren't real. I know that they don't have any importance. I know that they're not something that ought to be worshipped. But I want to declare your praise in such a way that the people who don't even know you or worship you yet will understand how great you are. I'm going to declare who you are. Now here's the thing. Last week we talked about evangelism, sharing our faith. And in church, sometimes we like to really compartmentalize things. We like to say that we are going to do some worship, and then we're going to have some discipleship, and then we're going to, we're, uh, after that, we're going, to, we're going to do some evangelism, and then we're going to do some ministry. And the thing is that what David shows us in this passage is that when you're declaring God's praise, it just comes out from who you are, and sometimes declaring His praise just simply becomes worship. And in the midst of that, other people may hear about it, And if they're a follower of Jesus, they may be ministered to. And if they're not a follower of Jesus, they may come to faith in Him. And I think that's called evangelism. It's not all separate kind of things. It's all one thing put together. It's just simply declaring His glory. I was reminded this week of a story of a missionary to India. And he went to a remote tribe of India. And in that tribe, they had difficulty seeing It was a particular illness that ran throughout the entire tribe. And as the older they got, the less they saw. And as he investigated and looked, he had some medical background. And he realized what was going on with their eyes. And so he began to treat it. And one by one, people in that community were becoming healed of their eyes. And their eyes were able to see. And one particular old man, he says, he remembers that he came in one day and he said, what do you want? He said, I just want to see. I haven't been able to see. And so the guy began the treatment. And with this particular gentleman, the treatment worked instantaneously. He said the guy got off the table and he looked around. And he looked at all that he saw and he... He, he kind of stood for a minute and, and looked at objects that he hadn't been able to see in, in recent years, and he just kind of began to tear up a little bit. And the missionary said, Sir, is everything all right? He goes, Everything is great. He says, You know what? You have done something amazing for me. And I am so thankful for what you have done, I will tell everyone I know how great you are. That missionary said he thought for a minute that he didn't deserve that praise, but then he thought, isn't that exactly what we ought to do with Jesus? We ought to tell everybody how great he is.
What David shows us is the best way in our lives to continually give thanks to God is just to declare His praises. It says here that what he's really saying is that he is declaring what is happening with his name. The word there, the glory of your name, means renown. We talked about that several weeks ago. It's like the a football stadium where one side is yelling and the other side is yelling and they're competing to see who can tell of the greatness of their team higher than anyone else. It is the name of someone that is lifted high above all else. Now, as I've said before, this is not a new concept to us because we all brag about things in our lives. I was having a conversation with one of my pastor friends the other day on the phone. And you know what happens when pastors talk and think God's doing things in their lives? Is they begin to brag on their churches. And we just started talking about it, and it was not, we weren't really doing one-upsmanship, but I couldn't let him get the last word in on how good his church was, all right? And so he would tell me something great happening at his church, and I would say, well, let me tell you what's going on here. Well, let me tell you about this women's event we're going to have this Thursday night. Man, it was a great women's event. Let me tell you about this Sunday school training where we've got 60-something people signed up to train for Sunday school. Let me tell you about it, and you talk about a great event. And here's the thing. What I'm excited about is I didn't have to try to come up with things to get excited about what's happening in the church. And sometimes when we give thanks to God, it feels like sometimes we think, well, what can I praise God for? The truth is, when God is in your life and living through you, you shouldn't have to think up things to praise Him for doing. It's just a part of who you are. So what is it that we give thanks for? David's going to tell us in the rest of the chapter what it is that we give thanks for. Starting in verse 3. We give thanks for answers to prayers. Look at verse 3. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. When I called, you answered me. Aren't you glad God doesn't check the caller ID? Aren't you glad God doesn't send you to voicemail? To leave a message? It tells us that when we call, He answers. In Jeremiah 33.3, it says that when you call on me, I will answer. The truth is, every time we pray, God answers. I want you to say that after me. Every time we pray, God... Now the question is, do you believe that? Because you notice I didn't say He answers like we want Him to answer necessarily. But every time we pray, He answers. Sometimes the answer is yes now. Sometimes it's yes later. Sometimes it's partly yes. And sometimes it's no. But every time we pray, God answers. David's talking about specifically here a time when he was downhearted, when he was discouraged, when he didn't think he could go on. And he prays for strength from God. And God answers and makes him bold and stout-hearted. What I like about what David says is, David just doesn't generally say, God, when I call, you answer. He says, when I called, you answered, and here's how you answered in the specific situation that I'm talking about. Here is your specific answer. A few weeks ago, we talked about praying and making it simple and being bold in your request. And the truth is that the reason that a lot of us don't see God answer prayers in our lives is because we simply don't pray. If you look at the testimony of Scripture, there are all kinds of people that had specific prayers answered. 
On your handout, there are six that we're going to list this morning, and we can't cover each one. Each one of these stories is a sermon in itself, and so we're not going into detail. But I want to give you six examples from the Bible of people that prayed bold prayers and how God answered them. The first one is Isaac's wife. Isaac's wife in Genesis 24. You can write that out to the side. Isaac's wife. Here's what happened. You remember the story of Abraham, and he is looking to have a child, and, and God blesses him with a child at the very young age of 99. And y'all want children at 99 or 100? No takers? He blesses Abraham with a child, and then Abraham, you know, we think about how precious that is, Abraham holding the child. But you've got to think about when Abraham was about 115, he was dealing with a teenager. Right? And it came time for his teenager to get married, but Abraham wanted his teenager to marry somebody that knew of God's history with his people. And so he sends a servant back to his former village, and he tells the servant, just go pick out one. And I'm going to pray as you go that when you get there, God will reveal it to you. So the servant gets there. It's a long journey. He's got camels with him. He goes, and the servant says, I have got to get the right one. And so, God, you've got to help me here. Whenever someone comes out and offers me a drink and then offers my camels a drink, would you please let me know that that's the one? Now, think about this for a minute. you got somebody coming out to draw water who's going to offer it to a strange man and then to the strange man's camels. Anybody have an idea how much water a camel drinks? Somebody has said that an average camel, thirsty, could drink 30 gallons of water. I know water's not the same price as gasoline, but that'd still be expensive, right? Now just imagine for a minute that he's got ten camels with him, and they're only half full. So each of them needs 15 gallons of water, and so you're going to multiply 15 times 10. I remember back in school, you just add the zero at the end. That's 150 gallons of water. Now how did they get water back then? They poured it out of a faucet, right? Right? No. They had to get the bucket out of the well, right? Anybody ever done that? Anybody drawn water from a well before? I thought about it one time. (laughs) Pulled the water out. Now think about that for a minute. Getting 150 gallons by bucket. Had to be a special lady, right? And he walks into town, and there's Rebecca. And she goes up to the servant and says, Can I draw water for you and for your camels? And he knew she was the one. Another one you can write down there is, number two is fire from heaven in 1 Kings 18. A story that I've told you before is one of my favorite. Isaac is, excuse me, Elijah is there on the mountain. He's got everybody surrounding the prophets of Baal, have been praying for hours. They've been praying so much that he starts trash talking them. And then he sits down and he says, wait a minute, before I do what I'm going to do, you go get some water and make this wood as wet as it can be. Make it so wet that there's a trench dug around it that's going to be filled with water. I want it so wet that there's no doubt when fire comes from heaven that it wasn't lightning that just kind of struck. I want to make sure you understand this is of God. I am so confident in the God that I serve that that, wet, that wood could be as wet wet as any wood has been in the history of the world, and God is going to make a fire on top of it. I want this to make sure that you understand it's from God. So they get the water, and they pour it, and they dump it, and it ends up filling up the trench. And Elijah gets up there, and all these prophets of Baal have been praying for hours on end, over and over, repetition after repetition, and Elijah just stands up and says, God, send the fire. And it comes. 
an answer to prayer. You can look at an impossible escape in 2 Kings 18-19. through 19. The king at that time was a guy named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a great king. He was one of those that did what the Lord said. And he had built a great kingdom. But there was this kingdom, the Assyrian kingdom, that was bigger and stronger. And that, that had more weapons. And they surrounded his Jerusalem one time. Sent a letter to him and said, we're about to come take you over. And it says in Scripture that Hezekiah got worried. He got concerned. He, he went to the Lord and he offered a lofty prayer of God. You've got to deliver us. You've got to do something about this. We can't do this on our own. And it says in the Scripture that that night, 185,000 Assyrians were killed. I want you to imagine the mood in the Assyrian camp the next morning. They get up. They're ready to go fight. They're putting on the armor and they notice that 185,000 of their people are dead. An answer to prayer. The fourth one on your list, you can write miraculous healing. The next chapter, Hezekiah comes down with some strange illness. And he goes into the nurses, and the nurses say, you just got a little bit to live. You can't be cured of this. And it says in Scripture that Hezekiah gets so concerned that he literally cries. And that tears run down his face. And it says in Scripture that God tells the servant, a prophet, to go to him and say, I have heard your request. I have seen your tears. You will be healed in three days. And he comes to Hezekiah and he tells Hezekiah that. And Hezekiah is sitting there and he says, how do I know this is true? And the prophet says, well, what do you want to know from the Lord? Do you want the sun to move forward ten steps in the shadow? Or do you want the shadow to move back ten steps? And Hezekiah says, it'd be a greater miracle if it moved back. I want the shadow to move back ten paces. And it does. You move over to the New Testament. You have a story in Acts 12 of sudden freedom. Peter is being held in jail and it tells us in Scripture that everyone around is, is, is praying for him. And they're gathered together. And that while he's in prison, an angel comes to Peter and says, Get up, follow me, we're going to where they're praying. And so Peter gets up and he follows the angel and he knocks on the door and the servant girl opens the door and says, Who is it? Peter says, It's me. And she yells back, It's Peter. And the people in the room says, It can't be Peter. He's in jail. It must be Peter's ghost. We've been praying for Peter. It can't be Peter. He says, It's Peter. And it says, Peter goes in, and they are amazed that God answered. Now, let me just tell you real quickly as an aside. Isn't it true that sometimes we ask God, we ask God, we ask God, and then God delivers, and we say, isn't that too good to be true? I heard about a pastor one time to visit, went to visit an elderly lady in the hospital, and she was having real problems, and he got there, and she said, Pastor, I just can't handle this anymore. You've got to pray that God's going to deliver me. And he says, all right, let's pray. And so he sits down, and he says, pray, God, that you will heal her, that you will make her body whole, that she'll be able to walk again, that she'll be able to get out of this bed. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. About that time, the lady said, Pastor, I feel better. She started to sit up. He goes, now wait, wait a minute. You need, you need to lay back down. You need to make sure everything's all right. Pastor, I feel bad. You know, I'm going to get up on the side. You don't need to do that right now. Nurse, we need a nurse in here. She gets up out of the bed. She begins to walk around. He says, now really, you're going to hurt something if you're not careful. You need to get back. And they came in and the nurse said, it looks like she's fine. Pastor went and sat in his car and said, Lord, don't you ever do that to me again. <laughs> Scared me to death when you answered my prayer. Here's the last one. It's 
a prison shakeup in Acts 16. Now, this isn't all of the answered prayers in Scripture. These are just some of the more dramatic. Paul and Silas are in prison. They don't have anywhere to go. They're supposed to be spreading the gospel. And they decide in the midst of a terrible situation, they are going to declare the praises of the Lord anyway. And they begin to sing. Now, I want to tell you, Scripture never tells us whether Paul had a great voice or a bad voice or any kind of voice in between. I don't know. I don't know if it was so bad that he sang so loudly that it shook the prison walls. I don't know if it was so good that it shook the prison walls. I know this beyond a doubt. It was God that shook it. And it says that in Scripture, as they're praying and singing the praises of God, praying for deliverance, everything gets broken down. I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know what kind of answer to a prayer you need. I don't know if you're a young person here and you say, I need a husband or I need a wife, and I don't know how that's going to happen. You may follow Isaac's example of praying. You may be in a situation where all these people are taunting you for your faith. You're in the situation where everybody's talking about how ridiculous it is that you follow this God, and you need God to show up like fire from heaven in order to show them who God is. I don't know if you're somebody that you're in a situation that you have no idea how you're going to get out of it, and you don't know how you're going to escape from what's going on in your life and you like Hezekiah need the work of the Lord to help you escape. I don't know if you've got some physical ailment, some emotional damage that you don't know how the healing is going to come and you like Hezekiah need God to show up and say I need all of that removed from my life. I don't know if you're someone that's in bondage to a sin or in bondage to your past or in bondage in a relationship and you don't know how you're going to suddenly break free from that. I don't know what prison you might be in and it needs breaking down and tearing apart But I know that the God who saw all of those people through and gave them answers to prayer is the same God today as He was yesterday, as He will be tomorrow. And He can answer whatever prayer you have. I've shared a little bit of of our story. But a few years ago when Susan and I were just married and moved to Texas and had lived there for a while... Uh, As we were in the process of transitioning into ministry and graduating from seminary and all of that, we were told that we would never have children on our own. Never. Not 2% chance. Not 8% chance. 0% chance. Doctors told us the only way that we could have children is that if we went through some medical routes and we... We went to the best specialist and did all of this stuff. And so we just prayed through that. We asked God to kind of work through that and, and, and just kind of just help us understand what we should do. And after some praying and some deciding, we felt that God was calling us to take some, some medical steps and begin that process. And so several years ago, over five years ago now, Susan and I actually uh, came to Nashville and with some specialists and some medical help, we were able to conceive and have Eli. It was an answer to prayer. You know, I remember about all of that happening was the night before uh, all all the uh, medical specialists were were helping us and all of that was going to happen on the the big night before. I was in my car and I was driving and I I just, uh, the song Here I Am to Worship came on and I just said, Lord, I desperately want a child and I will worship you whether we have one or where we don't, but I want to have a child. Well, we just accepted that from the Lord and we moved on. And 
began to think about the next time that God would want us to go through those medical things to have a child because we had no chance on our own. Two years ago, almost exactly, we were in the process of financially planning and looking ahead and all of those kind of things and had set aside the next summer to be the time when we were going to trust God and move forward with some medical things. Susan began to have some some health stuff she was a little concerned about and wondered about, and we didn't really know what was going on. And it was one of those things that I remember one day saying, Susan, if if the doctors hadn't told us there was 0% chance, what would you think? And she would say, I would think I was pregnant. The week after Thanksgiving, a little over two years ago, I will never forget the morning because we had prayed that God would give us our own child without that other stuff having to happen. I'll never forget the morning that I was laying in bed asleep and Susan came and jumped on the bed. Now, I know we're young, but we don't generally still jump on the bed. All right? And Susan jumped on the bed and she just yelled, God has answered our prayer. We have Luke now, and it was a complete miracle from God, an answer to prayer. And so when I think about the things that I am thankful for, and I'll sit around the Thanksgiving table this week, I will thank God for the answers to prayer in my life. I will thank God to the answers in prayer when I look at my son, and while he's throwing mashed potatoes this way, and he's smearing dressing that way, I'll give thanks to God for our answers to prayer. Here's the second thing we thank God for. Not just answers to prayer, but we give thanks for God's unsurpassed glory. His unsurpassed glory. Look at verse 4. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is Great. As we talked about a few minutes ago, what David is saying here is that your name, your renown, your wonder, your fame is unbelievably great. It is wonderful. It is majestic. It is higher than we can imagine. May the kings of the earth come to a place where they understand how great you are and may they give you the glory for who you are. The truth is, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what difficulties you're having, no matter what problems are there, the truth is that in the midst of that, God's greatness, God's glory is never diminished. And one of the reasons that we can give praise no matter what kind of junk is happening is because our God is still great. I'm glad I don't serve a God that changes with every new fad. I am glad that I don't serve a God that changes whenever we just feel like we don't like the way He is. I am glad that I serve a God that's unsurpassed glory lasts throughout generations and generations and generations. A few months ago, I watched a video called Indescribable by a guy named Louis Giglio. And what it did is it began to show pictures up of the, of the galaxy from the Hubble telescope. Now, I know sometimes as Christians we get a little scared when science starts talking about other planets and other places and shooting way out into place. 
But here's one of the most amazing things about that video. When I watched it from end to end, is that you cannot help but walk away thinking there is absolutely no way that something that great just happened by accident. And when you see those stars and you see the beauty of things billions of light years away, and you realize that we serve the one who spoke and it happened, you can't help but think about his unsurpassed glory. One of the things that has happened in the church in the last few years is as we've become more and more concerned about making sure that everybody understands that God wants to be our friend and God wants to be intimate with us, which is true. He desires a relationship with us. What we have done is that we have tried to bring him down to our level so much that we have forgotten how great and holy and mighty he is. There's a quote from your handout from possibly uh, the book outside of the Bible that has most shaped who I am. A guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. If you've never read it, I would highly encourage you to read it. Now, let me tell you, it's not bedtime reading. You're going to read about two pages a day for a while. But it is great. This is what he said. When viewed from the perspective of eternity, the most critical need of this hour may well be the church should be brought back from her long Babylonian captivity and the name of God be glorified in her Again, Let me tell you that part of the reason that we live in a very thankless society is because we've forgotten about the one that is wonderful and great and holy and mighty. And we forget to give him thanks because we get so focused on us. I heard a parent this week talking about their children and, and just talking about how uh, there was some debate over clothing and the quality of the clothing they were wearing. And the parent just said, I thought about just taking them down to the homeless shelter, letting them stay there for a day with us and remind us again of how great we have it. And here's the truth. Sometimes in our lives, don't we all have a pity party for ourselves? This means yes, this means no. We all have pity parties, right? I mean, we, nobody understands how much stuff we've got on us. Nobody understands what we're going through. Nobody can handle what's happening in our lives. It's, I can't believe that I'm in the middle of it. We just have a pity party right there. And in the midst of that, it is in those moments that we must look to God and His greatness to remind us how insignificant some of the things are around us. The truth is, if we're going to have a true thanksgiving and a life of thanksgiving, then many of us need to reacquaint ourselves with God. Many of us need to reacquaint ourselves with God. We give thanks for answered prayers. We give thanks for unsurpassed glory. But catch this, because this is the other side of the coin. I mentioned that we try to make God come down to our level. And the truth is that we don't have to make God come down to our level because God did that for us already. We also give thanks for God's unmerited love. Look at verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, though He is mighty, though He is holy, though He has unsurpassed glory, He looks upon the lowly. Though the Lord is mightier than we can imagine, He looks upon 
the lowly. One of my favorite word pictures in all of the Old Testament is when it's describing the benefits of God. And it says that the Lord, and you, you may have recognized this, there, there are passages in the Old Testament where it says He is gracious, He is slow to anger, He is tenderhearted, He is long-suffering. The word there for gracious is one of my favorite word pictures. The word gracious there means that He stoops to our level. I may have told you already, if I didn't, uh, then you'll hear it for the first time. If I did, you act like it's the first time, all right? When I was going through seminary, part of the way I worked my way through is that I worked at a preschool. I worked for two and a half years at a fine arts preschool in Fort Worth, Texas, and my job was to be a teacher assistant. I came in in the afternoon, and I took care of three and four-year-olds for three and a half hours until their parents picked them up and took them home. One of the things that always happened every day was that somebody cried. Right? Somebody cried. And I began to recognize the different kinds of cries. There was the, I want my mommy cry. The, I want some more snack cry. The, I fell down and it didn't really hurt, but I want you to come hug me anyways cry. I recognized them. And you know what was amazing is? That as long as I stood up above them and tried to tell them to stop crying, they kept crying. But as soon as I stooped down and got eye to eye with them and I put my hands out to them, they stopped. You know why? Because I came down to their level. I was gracious to them. And the picture in the Old Testament of what God has done for us is that He has stooped to our level to see us eye to eye. The truth is, that child, no matter how much they try, cannot get up to me. Luke is at this stage when he wants to be picked up. He just comes to me and he grabs my pants leg and he's trying to, like he's climbing up. But as much as he tries, he can't get up to me. But I can reach down to him. And what it tells us in Scripture is, one of the reasons we can be thankful is because God, even though he is on high, considers the lowly. Not a single one of us in this room deserve a relationship with Him. But He stoops down to us. There's a verse on your, on your handout that says that this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Here's the last thing this morning. We give thanks because of what God has done in our lives for the answered prayers, for the unsurpassed glory, for the unmerited love. But the last thing is we give thanks for hope and despair. We give thanks for hope and despair. Look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. Does that sound a little familiar? Does that sound a little bit like Psalm 23? Same guy. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands.
Here's the reason that we can give thanks even in the midst of difficult circumstances is this, is because we always have hope in Him. We always have hope in Him. What David says is, even though I'm in the midst of trouble, I will not concern myself. Even though I'm in the midst of danger, I will not be afraid. Even though the very death is at my door, I will not fear because you preserve my life. Because in verse Psalm 23 it says, because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The truth is that we can walk through life, whatever troubles may come, because we know that our Lord will preserve us. 1 Thessalonians says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know that one day the archangel is going to call and we're going to look to the eastern sky and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be coming on a white horse to gather us in and we will go to a place where there is no junk, where there is no problem, where there is no difficulty and where we will live forever in the presence of our King. That is hope in the midst of despair. This past summer when I went to Brazil, one of the families that was in Brazil with us was the Parish family. And I had known Robin, was a member of Inglewood Church, where my father-in-law was a pastor for many years. And I had heard a little bit of her story, but in the week that I was in Brazil, I really got to sit down and to know uh, this family. And the mother of the family is a lady named Robin, as I mentioned. And Robin had one of those sons that everybody thought was just going to be one of those great guys. He was a guy that was in the youth group. He was a guy that was a leader at school. He was young and handsome and had lots of friends and had a great future in front of him. And one night, on the way back from a youth event, he was in a car accident and was killed. Now, I didn't know that about Robin. I didn't know that about who she was until I heard her sing a particular song one time. The year that my father-in-law was president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention, he had Robin sing a song called Through the Fire by the Crab Family. Some of you may know that song. And as she sang it, she did an unbelievable job. And he got up after it was over and he says, Now, wait a minute, I don't think you all understand what's going on here. He said, The lady that just sang about God taking her through the fire has been through the fire. In the last year, she has lost a son in an auto accident. And so I'm going to have her sing that song again, and this time I want you to understand the hope that comes from it. I don't know if you've heard the song, but hear the words to the chorus of that song that I think are so important for us to remember as we walk through life. It tells us in there, and he, he, this is the chorus of the song, it says, He never promised that the cross would not get heavy, and the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered are victories without fighting. But, he said help would always come in time. So just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in, just hold on, because our Lord will show up and He will take you through the fire again. Last year has been an interesting year in the life of our family because it was Thanksgiving week last year when Susan's mom was diagnosed with cancer. I spent last Thanksgiving, part of last Thanksgiving day last year in the hospital with her while she, she doesn't even remember that. She was on medicine and had been through surgery and she was laying in the bed and I was watching football while she was, was sitting with her while the rest of the family ate Thanksgiving meal. 
And she's gone through chemo treatment after chemo treatment after chemo treatment, and she's gotten some better and some worse. And we really don't know any more about the prognosis today than we did a year ago. I found out this week that my grandfather, who is the patriarch of our family, I have only one grandparent remaining, and it's my grandfather on my mom's side. I found out this week he's been in the hospital a little bit and he's had some difficulty that he's been having many strokes for several days, weeks, months. His memory's starting to go. They don't know how healthy he is. And all of those questions are there in our family now. And you know what? This Thursday I'm going to eat Thanksgiving meal at the Jet House. And we're going to sit around that table and Marilyn's going to be there this year, and we're thankful for that. And we're going to be talking about all that God has done. And I'm going to look around at each of those tables and think about what God has done in our lives at each moment over the last year. And, you know, we're going to sit there in the midst of a time when we don't have any clarity about what God's future is for Marilyn. We don't understand what the diagnosis really is for Marilyn, where we haven't found a medicine yet that works well for Marilyn. And she may be able to, or may not be able to sit with us because of chemo treatments this week. And then on Friday, I'm going to go to my parents' house, and we're going to have Thanksgiving on Friday, and I'm going to sit with my grandfather, who is the man that I can tell you is the proudest of me of any human being that I have ever met. I mean, he, can't give, he can't see me without hugging me and saying, I'm proud of you, and crying at the same time. He is a godly man and a man that has lived a faithful life who took care of his wife for two years in, in, with Alzheimer's in a, in a nursing home and got over that and is just two couple of years, three years removed from that and now has this going on in his own life. And we're going to sit at that table and we could focus on all of the things that are going wrong, difficulties that are happening there. We could talk about all those things. But in the midst of both of those situations, I am going to give thanks to God because of what He has done in my life. And even though there are situations Situations that I don't like or I don't understand or I think are difficult to handle at times, I am going to give thanks to God because I know that He never promised that the cross would not get heavy. And I know that He never promised that the hill wouldn't be hard to climb. And I know that He prom- didn't promise that our victories wouldn't come without fighting. But I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He has promised that He will show up in time. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I'm standing in those moments when I have a decision to make and I'm standing in those moments when I don't know which way to turn and that my adversary, the enemy of my soul, Satan himself is telling me to give in and go home and pack up. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my Lord will show up and He will take me through the fire again. And the truth is that if I were to go around each person in this room, there would be something on your heart that you're wondering if you're going to get through. Something in your heart that you're wondering if you're going to overcome. Something in your heart when you're wondering if God is going to show up. And I will tell you that we give thanks to God because He answers our prayers when He calls. Because we know that He has unsurpassed glory and that He has given us love that is unmerited. But we can also give thanks to God because no matter what situation you're in, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have hope in the midst of despair. And so this Thanksgiving, the question is, are you going to take one day and a couple of hours and go around the table and say how thankful you are to God? Or are you going to begin, like David did, to declare His praise with your life 
because of how thankful you are. Would you bow with me this morning?